0: You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at RockyCreek.church. Tonight, as we are looking at this uh, eschatology, uh, once again, eschatology is the the study of end times. Tonight, we're gonna talk about, uh, will Christians have to endure tribulation, right? A real easy softball topic for us to get into. Uh, We we see here in our opening words that scripture is clear that a severe period of tribulation will impact the earth before the end. Now people disagree on the presence of Christians on the earth during that time. How many of you grew up in church where people would talk about uh, tribulation and rapture all the time? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have ever had a nightmare on such things? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. Like, so uh, how many of you just get headaches when you're trying to figure it all out? Right. Okay. We're, we're all there. Okay. Um, with, with this, there, there's a thing we have to kind of unpack and to think through what does this mean for us to, to endure tribulation? What is that going to look like? One thing that uh, as I was preparing for this uh, today, I was thinking about um, years ago, my oldest son Obadiah had this weird uh, health. Condition. He, he woke up one day, he was about 6 years old, and he, he got up out of his bed and he just collapsed over on the side. He couldn't walk. And he tried to get up and, and he's just like, Dad, I feel like my hip's not working or whatever. And I like, said, for 6 years, like, what are you talking about? Stop playing around. So I thought he had dislocated something, I thought he broke something, and none of that's happening. Uh, and he came to find out that he had this thing called toxic synovitis, which is basically a cold has moved down into your hip socket. Okay? Anybody heard of that before? It's ridiculous, okay? Obi only gets the weird stuff, okay? So he gets this thing where, like, his hip just stops working. Like, it just, six years old, he just goes, and they're like, we hope it's going to come back. We don't know. And if you get a cold in your hip, you can get a cold in your hip later. It's happened, like, two or three times between, like, six and ten. It's just, like, random times. He'd wake up, he just couldn't walk. And I'm like, here we go again. And so, like, it's just, I mean, it's unbelievable thing. And, and so, but yet, there's two things that could be. One is a cold in the hip, and one is, like, basically, like, an infection in your bloodstream. And so they'd have to do all these checks. Well, at that time, I remember Obi was, was not very much on getting his blood drawn or getting shots. And so I looked at him and said, buddy, we can do this the easy way or hard way? He's like, what's that? Easy way you lie there and you let them do what? The hard way is I come and I completely enwrap you where you can't move and they get it done. He said, I'll just go ahead and tell you. It's going to have to be the hard way. I said, okay, fine, right? So I wrapped him up and he's sque- screaming and crying and shaking or whatever. We get done when we need to. and then you know later we find out it's the the better kind of you know paralysis i guess like hopefully he's going to go away for in a little bit we hope to see that and eventually he does and so he gets over the blood being taken he's going to walk around on crutches and all this kind of weird stuff and one day i remember i was looking there and he's just trying to hobble on his crutches and get around and i said buddy i really wish that this would happen to dad before it happened to you and he goes i do too (laughs) okay like it wasn't it wasn't like no dad it's okay no i'd much rather that happen as well like um and I say that too because, um, at least for me, um, I, I think that I have kind of resolved, and I know there's different ways to look at this, but it's one thing if you're sick, but it's another thing if you're caring for somebody who's sick. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're, if, you're, if you're watching it, and you it's kind of weird, and unless you've been in that situation where you'd say, I'd rather this happen to me than watch it happen to you, and sometimes, like I don't know, like certain situations, but a lot of times it's hard to watch what other people are enduring and you kind of just want to remove it from them, right? Or, or take it away from them. And, and so when, when we come to this issue about um, persecution and tribulation and end times things, I think that uh, uh, at the very heart of this, we do have to understand that at the very uh, least, or the, the greatest thing that we can all unify on, regardless of where you fall in the situation, we have to get to the place where we say, Jesus Christ left heaven to come on earth to say this, you're not going to suffer I'm going to take this on myself. And he, he was willing, perfectly healthy, not, not God's condemnation, not coming his way to say, I'm going to step in and I'll take this before it comes to you. And, and so with that, um, I have to be in a certain posture to where even if the Bible delivers me something that doesn't settle well on my stomach, I have to trust the one who gave his life for me. And I have to trust the one who's willing to suffer for me to process any type of thinking around theology about this is the one who is willing to give his very life for me, so I've got to trust what those next steps are. Now with this, when we say that line, will Christians have to endure tribulation? On one end, okay, there's a way that you got to at least pack it, at least think about it this way. The, the better question is, will Christians have to endure what's called the great tribulation, right? Because if I ask you, are Christians going to have to face tribulation in this life? I'm facing it now, okay? I don't know about you. I'm going through it. You can go to other places in the world right now where it's illegal to be a Christian and say, are they going through tribulation? Yes. And in fact, follow this. If our eschatology only espouses a belief, That says it this way before things get really bad Jesus is gonna rescue all the Christians out of it there are a lot of Christians around the world who would say right now well he's late right because I'm I'm losing my property I can't work like I need to they've taken my wife they killed my child like if he's gonna come back before things get rough then he's late so when we say well Christians have to endure tribulation I would say yes now, will they have to endure what's called the Great Tribulation, as mentioned in Revelation? Some of you would say, absolutely no, and some of you would say, ah, I don't know. I'm going to show you tonight that there are three major beliefs of people who I believe really love the Lord and really know the Bible, and they really disagree with each other, Okay. And some of you are going to go, well, I think I've always believed this because I heard a song like this one time. A preacher thought this. My mom always thought this. And, and that may be all you ever thought through. But hopefully tonight, I'm going to show three views. I'm going to poke holes in all three views. And then I'm going to leave you to go home to figure out which one's the right way. Okay? that, that sound fair? Okay? Easy enough? All right. Let's talk about these three major views. The first one is the what? Pre-tribulation, pre-tribulation view. So we see there's a word here that is pretty important, right? Okay, it's pre-tribulation because it means that the rapture, what? precedes the tribulation. So even with that, uh, the rapture, for some of you might say, I don't even know what we're talking about here. I'm so thankful that you said that, right? Rapture is a time where there's a belief from scripture that God's people that are living on the earth, right? Here's my little stick figure here, that all of a sudden there's gonna come, um, there's a trumpet's gonna sound from heaven And all of the people who are in Christ are going to go up to meet Christ in the air and to be able to go with him to whatever is next. Follow? There's going to be a rapture sort of like, all right, whoever's on Team Jesus, meet with Team Jesus. Whoever's not on Team Jesus, good luck. Okay, that's going to be this moment, right? Now, when does this thing take place? So, some people say it's pre-tribulation. It happens. The rapture, God's people go up before tribulation happens. Here is the reason they come up with The rapture will call the church to meet Christ in the air before the tribulation begins. This is kind of the big picture understanding that before things get very, very bad on earth, there will be a moment where Christ says, all right, everybody with me, come on with me, and then everybody who's not is going to be left on this earth to figure out what to do is next. During that time, the Antichrist is revealed at the beginning of this time, and Christ will return at the end of the how many years? Seven years, okay? So Scripture is pretty clear that either, all right, literally or symbolic, there is going to be a period, what they call a seven-year period, to say that Christ will return after that return to say, okay, I've given this seven-year tribulation upon the earth, and now it's going to come, and he's going at the end of the seven years. And once again, I say literal or symbolic because I think there's room for people to go, when you look at the book of Revelation, there's a lot of symbolism, right? Right? And what we know is symbolic and what's not is sometimes hard to understand. So it says there's going to come at this end of the time. So Christ says, all right, everybody who's with me, come on up. And everybody's not. Good luck. Seven years of tribulation, the world gets completely bananas. And at the end of those seven years, he comes back to end and, and sort of go ahead and put everybody in their final spot. Scripture teaches, one of the main things we do have to understand, that God's people will avoid wrath, right? Okay, um, so let me make sure that we understand something because I do think that one of the hardest things in any of these beliefs is this The use of the word tribulation Some people mean great tribulation and some people just mean hard trials. Okay? Some people think of wrath as being on the earth for the tribulation and Some people would say no wrath is what God gives somebody for eternity. You see the difference here? Okay, let me, let me explain so um, There is a difference between wrath and what I would call discipline, okay? Does God discipline his children? Yes. Yes. Some of you are like, right now? Okay, like, does God discipline his children? Yes, he does. Is it painful? Yep. Is it final? No. Like, it helps shape us, but it doesn't remove us from his presence. In fact, Hebrews 12 says, hey... You know, only good parents discipline their kids, right? Okay, if you don't discipline your kids, they're illegitimate children. God disciplines his children, but he doesn't give them wrath. Wrath is you are suffering eternally for your sins. That's wrath. That's reserved for people who are not God's children, but discipline is reserved for God's children. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1.10. It says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the what? The The wrath to come. So if you are a child of God, you do not have to fear God's wrath. It's not coming upon you. Now, some people would say, "Well, that doesn't mean that I maybe I could be on the earth for tribulation." That is true, but we've got to make sure we understand the different terms. I believe this wrath, okay, is more than a 7-year period. God's wrath is an eternal eternal place of you telling God, "Stay out of my business," and God allows you to and God gives you what you've asked for for eternity. That's God's wrath. Because Christ on the cross, what? He absorbs God's Wrath, Right? So he takes that on for us. You also look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, where it says, God has not destined us for what? Wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you basically get one of two things. Every body in this life and everybody who's ever lived throughout history will either get wrath or they'll get what? Salvation. Those are the two things, right? You're going to get one or the other. So in this... Uh, those who don't know Christ will receive wrath. Those who know Christ will receive salvation. That doesn't mean that either of those groups of people are not are going to be invincible. It's just a hard time in this life, right? So we have to make sure we differentiate between that. You also have to, one of the, the reasonings that the pre-tribulation view works for, for many, many people, Revelation 3.10, because Jesus promised to keep the church of Philadelphia from the trial coming to the whole world. If you don't know this in the book of Revelation, there are seven churches he speaks to. One is called Philadelphia, no, not the one up north. Okay, a different one, okay. Um, but he promised to keep the church of Philadelphia from the trial. It says in Revelation three ten, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. So in this he speaks now. Um, Some of you would say, "Ah," see, perfectly. Look, there is a verse that says he's going to keep us from the hour of trial that's coming from the whole world. But what do you also know? He's talking to a specific what? Specific church. He didn't say everybody. He says the church of Philadelphia. Y'all are not going to be around when this happens. Guess what we know? The church of Philadelphia is not around anymore. It's gone. Okay? So you see how this can be interpreted a lot of different ways. So you have to be careful in a verse That is for a particular group of people that we don't mean it means for everybody who's ever lived. One thing that is very important, when you look um, through Revelation, in the first few chapters the word church is used a lot. That's the people of God, right? But then something happens throughout the book of Revelation when it's talking about a whole lot of bad stuff on the earth. This is what you notice. The word church appears 19 times in the first three chapters of Revelation, but it is then absent until chapter 22. So the word church, right, it is, appears 19 times in the first three chapters of Revelation. But then chapter 4 until 22, it's not used at all when it's talking about bowls of wrath and the beast coming down and stuff blowing up and everything. The word church is not even used until chapter 22 when you're talking about the new heaven and the new earth, and that's where the name comes back. So this, once again, is um, a positive thing that people would say, look, if you look at this, when you talk about all the great tribulation that's mentioned in the book of Revelation, you don't see the church even mentioned during that time. Um, You also notice that in the book of Daniel, in chapter 9, verse 24, it speaks of something called the 77s, that is supposed to refine and restore Israel, the church will be excluded. So what I mean by that is, in the book of Daniel, we could unpack this the entire night here, but he talks about uh, different periods of time that come about, right? And at this time, it talks about how it's going to restore Israel. Last week, we talked about how God would do something for Israel and something different for the New Testament church, right? And how all that stuff works together. Well, some people would say that tribulation period, so get this, the church does what? It goes up to meet with God. But who is left on the earth? Israel and the rest of the world who have not professed Christ to figure out what are they going to do with this Christ, right? That's kind of that, that belief at that, that time. So the church goes up, but the, the, the other folks would stay down during that time. Now, with this, here are some problems, as I'm going to give fairly to every single view tonight, okay? Here's some of the problems that people have with it. Number one, this uh, belief is heavily formulated in what's called the 1800s. Now, I already had somebody last week say, hey, I know that you mentioned that um, dispensationalism happened in the 1800s, but I found a a source that says this instead. And you can find all different types of things that will say, but this is one thing we have to to look at. There are different versions throughout all things. Like last week, we talked about... um, pre-millennialism, right, okay, um, and we talked about there was a historic view that the church fathers had, but then later on it was a different type of view that happened around the 1800s. When you look throughout all history, guess what you can find? People who say all kinds of stuff, right? In fact, I could write right now on this piece of paper a quote, okay, so let's just imagine I'm writing a quote and I, I hand it over here to Jim and say, Jim, will you read this? And he's going to read it, and it says, don't believe everything you read on the internet, and the quote is from Abraham Lincoln, okay? All right Now you would read that and go, I don't know if he said that. I'm going, it's in a book. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's in a book. You got to believe it. Right. Okay. Somebody wrote it on the internet. You got to believe it. You can't, when, somebody can put something in the print. Somebody can put anything anywhere and, and, and skew any type of view. But what, what a lot of people would say is the view that we know today, predominantly uh, characterized, put together in a nice package, really was formulated in the 1800s. Now, that could be one of two things either the church got it wrong for that many years and somebody finally kind of got it all together, or somebody you would say, I have a hard time believing this if it just came about in the last couple hundred years, right? Now, it is formulated in the 1800s, and it, it splits into two phases different from Scripture, and, and some people would say that while the church is not mentioned in Revelation, saints are. So if you go to Revelation chapter 3 or Revelation chapter 20, you see the word saints used, And you go, what does that mean? In Christ, you are a saint. You're no longer a sinner. You might sin, but your identity now is a saint. Well, in all these chapters, it does talk about saints who are on the earth. It doesn't talk about the church, but that does appear as almost as if there are some believers on the earth. So with this, there's a lot of positive and even biblical reasoning for a pre-tribulation view. There's also some things that people would push back against. Now, let's talk about a what? mid-tribulation view right okay this is the rapture occurs at the what midpoint of the tribulation you didn't see that one coming did you okay right um here's mid-tribulation view that believes in this seven years time that things are going to get real bad and then there's this break in it where christ is going to say all right church come on out and then the next three and a half years are going to be good luck for everybody left here okay this is what's called a mid-tribulation view. Let me explain where the reasoning comes from. It, the, the thought process is the church meets Christ in the air after the seventh trumpet sounds in Revelation eleven fifteen. 15. This view believes that they will be on the earth for a lot of difficult times, but there's this moment in Revelation 11 that speaks of when the seventh trumpet sounds, and then all of a sudden Christ... Uh, and things get, before it gets really out of control, this is the point where they would believe that Christ would call his church together. The church would endure the first half of the tribulation. The rapture would take place, and then Christ would return at the seven-year mark. Okay? So the church would have to endure the first half of the tribulation. Then the rapture would take place, and then Christ would return at the seven-year mark to uh, reach a, a certain place where everything once again is, is all said and done. Now, one thing that we have to look at is that let's, it's, uh, it's helpful to look at the words of Jesus because um, Jesus actually, the view holds in this situation that the abomination that's mentioned in Matthew 24, 15 will transpire before the Antichrist is revealed, okay? Now, some of you go, abomination, what is this? Okay, I'm glad you asked because I don't know. No, okay. Um, in Daniel and in Matthew, in Jesus' words, he talks about that there's going to come an event that's called the abomination of desolation. I just always thought that was a heavy metal band in the 80s, but apparently it's a biblical term, right? Okay, the abomination of desolation, right? This, this is really, really bad. This is really, really bad. Um, there is a belief that someone so vile is going to do something so horrific, in a a sacred place that's going to be classified as what's called like, this is the worst of the worst, right? This isn't like you being disrespectful in God's house. This is like sacrificing like some kind of, you know, animal in a uh, Christian place, but towards the God Molech or something like this. This is going to be so disrespectful, so vile, so defiant towards God that God's going to say, all right, we're done, okay? It's called the abomination of desolation. Once again, uh, even the phrase, right? It just sounds absolutely horrific. It's going to be that way. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, okay, okay? So he says, when you see that happen, Daniel talked about it, when this goes forth and he's standing in the holy place and he does this such a horrific thing, Watch out. And this is what verses 21 and 22 says. There will be great, what? Tribulation. Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The sake of the who? Elect, right? So that word there is like, okay, well, who's that supposed to be? So, So get this in your head. Something so horrific is going to take place where someone's standing in the holy place and it's going to trigger that such, basically like God removing his hands and such a tribulation is going to happen on the earth that's never been seen. And you go, you mean worse than ever? If you're not aware of this, our history books have some horrific moments in it. This is going to be worse. Worse than the holocaust. Uh, worse than the the genocide of Hebrew babies in Egypt. Like, w- worse than any anything we can ever imagine in our mind. This is going to be worse. And it says, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. That horrible. And it says, but for the sake of the elect, those days be cut short. Well, who are the elect? Well, they are chosen by God for something. So, this is, you, you see where, based upon your theology, you may interpret it one or different ways, right? Some would say, Oh well, the elect, God's people, are on the earth, and so it's really, really bad. They're here in the middle of the tribulation, but because He loves them, it's not going to get so bad. He's going to put a stop to it. And some would say, no, the elect is the is Jewish people that God's going to give them a few more years just to get a chance to repent before it's too late. And we have to kind of say, okay, well, what what does that mean, and and where does that fall? Where Christ gives us information, but He also doesn't fill in every gap for us, right? And sometimes I honestly I go, Jesus. You knew we'd be disagreeing about this stuff, right? Like, and if you knew we'd be debating over pre-millennial and amillennial and post-millennial and pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, Calvinism, Arminianism, you know, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, like, if you knew all this, right, if you saw all this coming, like, why didn't you just clarify it a little bit? Like, I mean, because regardless, I would imagine everybody in here would say tonight, I believe that God at least sees in the future and knows it's going to take place. And if he saw all the division that happened in the church, why didn't he make it clear in some areas? Because I think even in that is a testing and refining of us. Part of that is seeing how out of sorts are we going to get with other people who claim the name of Christ and think differently on us. And and here's what, what I have said. A lot of times I feel like I'll have my theology fixed and really nice and tidy but if I show up to heaven and God's like, yeah, you're wrong about that and that and that, I'll be like, your way's better. Okay, like I'm not gonna be offended if I have to say that I got this wrong. But there's coming a day in this where it's gonna be so bad that, but yet for the sake of the elect, who is who is that, right? Well, Daniel 725, mention that again, mentions this figure having power over the believers for three and a half years. But some type of figure who does this horrific thing. Will have power over the believers for half that time, and so many people would say, so that that proves that there's going to be a persecution that the antichrist is going to be so bad, and believers for three and a half years are going to have to at least experience it, and then something's going to happen. Uh, this belief also holds that the resurrection trumpet in First uh, 1 Corinthians 15:52 is the same as the seventh trumpet of Revelation 11:15. So some people think when. Um, in First Corinthians fifteen, it talks about how that Christ is going to come with the sound of a trumpet. That they think that's the same trumpet there that's in this that in the Book of Revelation. Um, some people believe that. Some people would say, I don't think those are the same things. But at least so you know where that comes from. Now, here here's the problems with this view that some people have. Um, Revelation uses the term "great tribulation" in se- in uh, chapter seven verse fourteen, and the "great day of wrath" in chapter six verse seventeen. But which both would not correspond with what would be called mid-tribulation timing. What I mean by that is, Book of Revelation and all those middle chapters is kind of talking about how bad it gets, and apparently it speaks great tribulation and great day of wrath when believers are still on the earth. And so this is where some people would say the timing of it doesn't make sense. So you may say, Oh, good. Well, is the third one won't have any problems? No, they all have problems. Okay, I'll make sure to make sure we have an equal balance of this. But the third view is what's called the post-tribulation view. Okay. Pre, mid, and post, which means this. In post-tribulation, the rapture occurs what? After the tribulation. okay? The rapture occurs after the tribulation. Some of you would automatically go, I don't like the sound of this one. okay? Right? Because this one doesn't sound fun. This one doesn't sound as, as maybe as, uh, as easy as the others, and you'd be right. Um, but let's, let's look at the reasoning and see what, where they come from. Their belief is after the tribulation the church will meet Christ in the air at the rapture. They believe that after seven years of great tribulation then will come a time where Christ says enough and he rescues those who are still on the earth that still call his name. Now in those seven years the belief would be that many believers have died because they would refuse to recount Christ. There are going to be moments in those seven years the antichrist and horrible, horrible governmental and cultural systems will say deny Jesus or we'll kill you and they go to their death and So at that moment those who made it through those seven years, which probably won't be a lot There'll be a moment that uh, That they would return and meet Christ in the air Um, The church will concurrently return with him to establish his kingdom on earth so With this, last week we talked about the millennium, right? And a thousand years where Christ is to reign on the earth and when that takes place. So um, I I just want to say, like in all three of these views, I won't speak, um, but like if you try to think of all three of these views logically, I'm going to be honest with you, they don't logically all fit every need of mine mentally. And, And the reason why, let's give this an example. So you mean to tell me that people are going to go right up, they're going to meet Jesus there, only to do what? Come right back down and live here. Well, that was kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> okay? like, I thought we were just you know, we're going to go meet with him. Now we're going to go to heaven, we're going to come back to earth? Like, Come on, are the gas prices going to be better? Like, what does this mean, right? Now, with this, in the same type of way, you t- to talk about pre. So pre, uh, everybody goes up before things get bad. And then the question is, well, who's sharing with anybody on the earth how to get saved? Or, well, nobody's going to get saved. They're just going to go to hell in seven years. Well, then why are they just lingering on earth for seven years? just where it's going to get really worked. You see what I'm saying? Even for mid-tribulation, it kind of doesn't like... So Christ is going to come back, and he's going to say, Hey, everybody, I'm back, but I'm going to go back up, and I'm going to come back in three and a half years. Y'all better get ready. All right? Get ready. And then he comes back. And he brings all those people together with him, but he, he's saying he's come back for what? And so you think, well, for three and a half years, like everybody would, if they saw him in the sky, well, obviously, well, let, let's follow him. But this is where I'm saying all three of them, I could pick holes in if you think logically, right? If you think, well, this doesn't make sense in the way that I think exactly the way these things should be. So when you look at this, the church will concurrently return with him to establish his kingdom on earth. In Revelation, it does say, this is something we haven't done really well in church, because we always talk about when somebody dies, they go to where? Heaven or hell. And we look at the book of Revelation, it says that I'm going to start a new heaven and a new earth. Why? I thought everybody went to heaven or hell. Like, what, what's the point of the earth there? At the end of all things, it says that there is a heavenly realm and there is a earthly realm. And apparently, we're kind of engaged in all of them. Like, I mean, I don't think you make an earth, a new earth, just to look down and go, isn't that pretty down there? You see that lake? I I think there'll be people on that new earth. and And so with that, you see how, now that makes a little bit more sense in any of these ways. If you think about Jesus coming to rule and establish a presence on earth, whether you're, pre mid or post like that makes a little bit more sense if earth just doesn't go away. There's there's a new heaven There's a new earth. So this is what happens Jesus said in Matthew 24 that he would return after what he called a great tribulation now, is it a great tribulation or? The great tribulation right like which one are you speaking of jesus? Uh, we really wish you'd help us out here a little bit. This is what he says in Matthew 24 21 or 29 immediately After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There's coming a day after that tribulation where something's going to take place and everything, everything changes. Now, uh, people who believe in post-tribulation will share that when Revelation speaks of the coming of the Lord, it only occurs in Revelation after the tribulation. So, Revelation nineteen twenty um, is what keeps up the descriptions of what does it mean for the coming of the Lord after all the horrific things in Revelation. That's when it's spoken of, that when the Lord returns, only that time. Uh, people would also, in this belief, say that Revelation indicates that believers will experience great trials through the tribulation. If you look at places like Revelation 13, 7 and chapter 20, verse 9, it speaks of of believers having to endure great trials and tribulation on the earth before Christ's return, and once again, it all comes back to: Are we talking about regular trials and tribulation, or like the great tribulation? Like which one are we speaking of, right? Um, since history proves believers must endure persecution, the tribulation shouldn't be surprising. This belief would say: um, If you look at the Bible, God's people are not immune from persecution. If you look at history, God's people are not immune from persecution. So it shouldn't be too much of a shock that God's people have to endure some really bad persecution right before he comes back. So they would say that, that makes sense throughout the rest of the time that it shouldn't be a, too big of a stretch for us now. Now, problems with this view is that the uncondemned having to experience tribulation. And, and what I, I mean by that is some people would say, well, Romans 8.1 says, therefore there is now what? No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So why would we have to endure tribulation if we don't have any condemnation? Now, some of you would automatically—I can already see some eyes like, "Wait a minute, uh, I buy that," or maybe, maybe I don't buy that. Condemnation and tribulation are not the same thing, right? Right? Like, so just because I'm in Christ and I'm not going to have to suffer His wrath, doesn't mean that my life's not going to be difficult at times. We would all agree with that. But also, what do you do with the unmentioned church in Revelation four through twenty-one? The word church isn't used in those chapters. Like that's a lot of chapters here. Why is is that not used during that time? So, um, since therefore I have not answered any of your questions, but you're providing you with more questions tonight. You're more than welcome. Here's what I want to do in our last few minutes here. the thing that I'm the most excited about. Give us some unifying beliefs, because I'll be honest with you. Um, some of you right now, you listen to that, and you probably thought, yep. Yeah, I came in here thinking this. I'm leaving here thinking the same thing, right? But probably all of us, I would think, would at least go, huh. I thought I was the only, my belief was the only one that made sense, but ah, uh, I could see that, right? I, I say this you have to look at the narrative of Scripture. If, if we look at the Bible, right? Let me show you. It's not like you go to this section of Scripture and there is a bullet point list of everything we need to know about the tribulation and revelation, right? Do you see what we're doing? popping here and here and here and here and here and here, and we're putting it all together from there, right? So the Bible's not giving us a here's your seven-point list of, you know, get ready before, you know the tribulation comes. Like the Bible doesn't read like that. It, it has this, these places in First Thessalonians, and Matthew 24, and the book of Revelation, which is symbolic, and we're trying to figure out so, so what are some unifying beliefs that uh, I think we can at least rally around tonight just to know this. First one is this. Things will get worse before they get better. Okay, now some of you would say, "Yeah, but we looked at one belief last week that said the world would just continually to get better." Okay, how many of y'all are seeing that take place in our lives today? Um, now there are uh, progress in certain areas, and there are sometimes I go, "Oh, we're we're doing certain things," and then sometimes I just feel like this world is more messed up than it's ever been before. Right? Um, there are. Uh, there are conversations I have to have with my kids that I never thought I'd ever have to have based on just stuff they see. Dad, why is so-and-so like that? Well, ask your mama, right? Okay, like, I mean, no, I, I, there are things that that I look at um, I'm just shocked by. And I, I don't get shocked a lot, right? I, I really don't. I feel like I've seen it all and some days I'm like, all right, world, okay, that one I did not see coming. Um, there are... Um, sin upon sin, upon sickness upon sickness. And, um, I, I do believe that we would look at what we're experiencing in our culture today. And you look around the world and I believe that there are moments, right? Like I believe I, I, there were some people today who came in spiritually dead that that walked out spiritually alive. I go, okay, there's progress, right? Praise God for that. But in the midst of it, man, our culture just nuts. Absolutely nuts. Um, we also like, I mean, I, I don't know if you realize this, but, um, Um, You know, we're we're dealing with on on the world with everything that's happening with Russia and Ukraine and everybody's got eyes on it for what it means, but also, like, I I was reading this article the other, um, last week, there was a um, a peace um, treaty that came about in in Ethiopia and some neighboring regions, if you don't know this, in in, uh, Ethiopia, the last two years plus, uh, have had a bloody civil war where they have lost more civilians in Ethiopia than Russia and Ukraine combined, and yet we never hear it on the news. Why? It doesn't affect us, right? Like, there, there are kids that have been blockaded from getting food and medicine in certain parts of Ethiopia, and it's not making the news. Why? That don't affect our political negotiations. It has nothing to do with us, right? And so if I, I look at Russia, Ukraine, I look at Ethiopia, I look at the United States of America and stuff that we're arguing about and voting about and all this kind of stuff, I go, Lord Jesus, come and come quickly, right? This place is messed up. And I believe that whether, okay, whether the church will be on the earth for just little T tribulation or big T tribulation, we're going to experience some stuff, right? Right? And for the first time in most of our lives, we're actually starting to feel a legitimate pushback against the culture. 10, 20 years ago, not everybody followed Jesus, but at least was respected culturally to do so. It's not that way anymore. It's the first time we've experienced it in this country. The rest of the world's like, well, y'all had it easy. Y'all had it easy. We're, we're figuring out if we want to have business or follow Jesus, right? Like, that, that's what we're figuring out if we want to keep our families safe or follow Jesus. Like, And we're now just kind of catching up to a little bit of hostility. And I do believe that throughout Scripture, whether you believe little T-tribulation, big T-tribulation, like, things are going to get worse before they get better. But this is also a unifying belief of at least these three major ones. Christ will return and triumph over our enemies. That day is coming, folks. And whether... We are here on the in the middle of the earth when it happens, or we got a heavenly, you know, uh, view uh, position to see it happen, right, or whatever, like in the president's box, so to speak. Like whether we're here, there, wherever. I have read the end of the book, uh, and guess what? Jesus wins. Okay, like he and he wins big time. It's not like I don't know. It's going to get rough in that last battle. Jesus, like game over, and everybody just falls out. They're done, right? When he says it's over, it's over. And, and so for me, like, um, whether or not, right, I, I have to, I, I go to this point that I believe that if I have to suffer great persecution in this life, or even if I had to endure, like, the Antichrist, like, pummeling me and everybody like me for seven years to be with Jesus, he's worth it, right? So, so before you say, yeah, but I, think, I, I agree with that, but at the very end of it, like, I have to at least have this position to say... Now he's worth seven years of tribulation. He'd be worth a whole lifetime of tribulation if that's what it took. Um, so I do believe that no matter what happens in the timeline, Christ is going to return and he's, he's going to defeat all over his enemies. And it's not even a fair fight. And also I believe this, all beliefs say that believers will ultimately be rescued. Whether that happens before a great tribulation happens on earth or at the midpoint of when that's happening or after the fact Jesus knows who belongs to him, and he's not going to leave anybody out, right? There's a head count. He's like, you're with me, you're with me, you're with me, you're with me. Come on, and he's not going to miss anybody when that comes. Now, for that, and that wonderful truth that believers will ultimately be rescued, once again, I come back to, to my analogy with Obadiah, right? Um, son, uh, I wish this would happen to me rather than you. Me too, Dad. <laughs> okay, like, me too. Um, I say that because um, I have to constantly evaluate my theology based on what the Bible says or teaches versus what I want to hear. And in all of these views there are certain things that I like about some of them and some of them I, I kind of like ah, I'm not exactly sure. But I think we do have to rescue ourselves. I think while so many of us struggle with persecution this lifetime is we have always just assumed before it gets too bad, Christ is going to bring us home. And I'm just saying, y'all might want to buckle your seatbelts. It may not be we're here for that tribulation, but we are going to be here for some of it. We're going to be here for some hard times. But I had this belief, I can endure anything if I know there's an end to it. You know what I'm saying? Like So for me, like um, I was on a plane ride one time, a 18-hour plane ride. And I sat down and I thought, I'll, I'm a big guy. When I, you put me in the coach, can I play, man? I'm, I'm just like, I'm just struggling. 18 hours in this plane, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this. I sat down. Nobody's to my left. Nobody's to my right. And I'm like, the Lord has shown his favor upon me. And I'm going to have this entire ride. And then all of a sudden, they're like, we can't take off yet. We're waiting for somebody else. I'm like, oh, only two seats left on the thing. And I'm like, please let them not show up. King Jesus, can I please just have this ride? And then here I see this mama coming and she's got this spawn of Satan in her arms that is screaming, throwing stuff, I mean, just beating people. I'm just going like, oh, no, oh, no, please don't. Any other seat, anybody. And they come sit right beside me. And for the next 18 hours, I'm sitting there. If you've ever, if you're on a plane, you see that little map that show you where you are, like over the ocean, right? It just takes forever. I'm just sitting there going, just 16 more hours, King Jesus. Just 15 more hours. I'm counting now, and I'm going, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to make it. But I knew that I could because there was an end coming, Right? It wasn't going to last forever. And so, whether or not I just have to live through the trials and the pain of this life through however many years God lets me tarry on this earth, or if I have to endure through some heavy, heavy stuff, I know I can make it because Jesus is worth it and there is an end coming to it, regardless of how that looks. And so, one necessary consideration for all belief systems. Wrath and tribulation are not synonymous. They're not synonymous, okay? Okay? So wrath, I believe God's wrath comes against unbelievers. It is an eternal state. It is separation in hell. That is what I believe wrath to be when most of the time it's spoken of in Scripture. Tribulation is spoken of a seven-year event. Wrath is an eternal state that that nonbelievers will experience. So we've got to make sure that sometimes when people read wrath in the Bible, they think tribulation, and I think God is saying hell. That's what he means in those moments. And so you've got to be careful not to assume that. Because even this, um, Jesus said in Matthew 3, 7, Who warned you to flee from the coming what? Wrath. Wrath. Who warned you that God's wrath is coming against mankind and you need to get right with him? Because those people want to get baptized. He's like, who warned you about this? And then look at Romans 5, 9, right? Right after, 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He then says this, therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from what? Wrath through him. I'm not going to receive God's wrath. You know why? Because Jesus has already received it on the cross for me. So when I go to heaven, if your belief has you, when you die and you're on heaven or you're on earth or wherever your residence is, Okay. If your belief is that when you get there, God's going to have a serious talking to you about all the sins you've committed, you do not understand the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the scripture just says, I'm not going to experience God's wrath. Because if I have to experience God's wrath, then what in the world did Jesus have to do it on the cross for, right? Either Jesus experiences it, or I'll experience it. But I don't believe, I believe there's a tribulation, there's a seven-year time coming, it's going to be really, really bad on the earth, and some people are going to still be here when that happens. But I believe that wrath were for those who don't know him. And that will be what you eternally experience. So, with this, um, everybody now warm and cozy and just feel really good about right now and and the future? You can if you know Jesus. Right? Uh, Things might get crazy. Um, Y'all remember the end of 2020, everybody going, I can't wait till 2021. Remember? I'm like, y'all better not say that. Right? (laughs) Better not because you don't know what's coming around the corner. I am through, getting through this year and waiting for the next one, because every time I do, something bad happens, right, okay? And, and I say that for all of us just to say, folks, um, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't even know if we will see tomorrow. So the most important thing is, versus what's going to happen at this point in the tribulation, that kind of stuff, are you with him now? That's the most important thing. Are you sharing him now with people who we may not have the opportunity to later? Or are you doing what we can? And so our eschatology has got to if it doesn't lead us to evangelism we're not listening right because this says that there's coming a time where God is going to separate all people um, and we need to get that word out right now so father tonight as we um, probably uh, unpack things in scripture that um, I know it makes my head hurt and uh, I've I've been to seminary and I've, I've thought through this and to try to teach in a way that's somewhat palatable Yet, there are things that in this God that Uh, I see valid points of all sides and and struggle with and sometimes debate this or wonder that. But at the end of the day, this is what I believe all of them are saying, that even if there are trials and tribulations that we have to experience in this life, Jesus, when you say it's over, it's over. And you're going to come back and you're going to bring those that belong to you to live with you forever. And so I I, I just surrender my today to you. I, I say that I belong to you and so no matter what happens, And whether I'm here on earth, or I'm taken away, or if I die, or if I linger, whatever takes place in my lifetime, or whenever you return, I I believe this, that I'm going to see you one day. And it might be at the end of my life, or it may be that you return to this earth to call your children home. But regardless, until that day, I want to be faithful to the message that you've called me. And you have not called me to go, therefore, to all the nations and understand every fine element of eschatology. You have called me to go make disciples everywhere I go and to share your news with people. And so, God, for what we can uh, take control or responsibility of, that's what we'll do. For the rest, we'll study hard, but we'll also trust you with the things that we cannot comprehend because we believe that you're able to hold us and uh, hold us until the end. In the name of Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you all thank you for listening to the equip podcast make sure to check out rocky for complete notes and additional resources you can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you we hope to equip you for the work of the ministry